Even now, from a safe quarantine distance, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. We're here again, folks. Um, it's sort of a, a sort of a, we're recording. First of all, we're doing my favorite thing that we very rarely do. Uh, it's the morning record. Woo! Um, it's the you know I like to sit here with the coffee and really ruminate as the I guess it's a little foggy today. Um, we had a huge pleasant. we had a huge thunderstorm overnight. So yes. Um, so that's nice, even though I'm like sitting in the dark, uh, by myself, you know, the in the dog basement, is, like, staring at me weird. Yeah. It's like, it's bleak here, folks. Our wings have been clipped. Um, like many of yours have, but, uh, we're here. We're going to talk through all sorts of, I guess it, it's weird, like coming up with content <laughs> right now because there's really only one topic of discussion. It's just like reformatting that same idea onto several different aspects, which is fine and it's important to do. But we are going to do some of that today. We're going to talk about publishing um, in the age of coronavirus um, and various other things like that. Um, but before we get to any of those lovely things, how about the basic rundown? Absolutely. So we made it to April. We sure um, did, folks. Even though emotionally, intellectually, etc., it is still March. <laughs> so, One thing I really hate is when people do those, like, people do a lot of posts about, like, oh, this month was, like, 9,000 years, except this month, March really was, like... It really was. It felt like it took a year off my life, but... Anyway, so it's it's funny because before the the quarantine and self isolation and all of that happened, um, I've been for about the past six months letting my like I've stopped coloring my hair. I've let it I've let mm-hmm. it grow out naturally because yeah, I'm very gray. Not? Well, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm very gray and I and I you know I've been graying since I was 13 years old and um, I always the said that like when I get witch. Um, and I always said when I got like halfway gray, I would just let it go. And so I started this. And so now I'm, I'm like trying to remember to take pictures of my head Mm -hmm. because I'm going to like come out of this like way, way ahead of plan. Um, yeah. So that's been fun. Um, Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, so we've made it to April. That means that there will be April special episodes. Um, they are probably going to come at kind of later and weird times because I am now sharing our office recording studio with my husband, who is a music producer. So that's another reason why we're recording very early on a Tuesday instead of at a sensible time when we are both drinking beer. Um, because he he's doing this for his day job um, in this room. It feels so. fair. It feels fair to let him have priority over all the recording stuff too, though, because we really wouldn't have a show without his yeah. initial sound expertise. It's so. also his equipment. Um, yeah, I was gonna say like he, <laughs> we mostly exist because of him. So yeah, and uh, you know it's it's all fun and games until you know like I'm sitting on my nice chair reading a manuscript in the living room and I hear him in the office like playing the cello. Um, he doesn't know how to play the cello. Like he's just, he's just 
like one note at a time so that he could record it and like manipulate it in the song that he's working on. So he's just vibing. It's fine. Yeah, he's Sometimes vibing. Sometimes you just pick up an instrument you've never played before <laughs> and riff. Yeah, so we've got we've got in let's see, in my office right now, instead of just like books and piles of like royalty statements we also have a bass an electric guitar an acoustic guitar a cello and a violin hmm. um yeah so we're we're having we're we're feeling like i'm like really in the the recording spirit now because i'm surrounded by all these <laughs> instruments that's way more idyllic than my setup i've got like a target bag full of beer cans and I mean, I also have that. <laughs> I've got a wooden loon. Hey. I should put a picture of that if I have this loon on my desk. Um, though, actually, I will say I like recording with Placky in the room. That ah, makes me feel good. Placky, which is our um, um, so. digital book <laughs> book uh, world award for best use mm-hmm. in podcasting. I have a stuffed loon um, okay. and some loon coasters. Yeah. So, Yeah. Anyway, it's important to have good kitsch. Yeah. Um, anyway, so if if all of this is driving you to think, hey, maybe um, I want to hear these people critique my work, uh, <laughs> head on over, head on over to Patreon. We do um, we do critique episodes every month specifically for writers. If you would like for us to critique your work, send us your query or your first page or even just like your questions or anything else to printrunpodcast at gmail.com. We're running a titch low on submissions because we're we sort of aim every um every episode to get to get a sort of uh good breakdown between kid lit speculative um general fiction women's fiction like yeah we like to get a good spread so if you're thinking what the hell send us an email it's anonymous yeah no we are balance is a little off at the moment so send us some stuff and we can make sure Probably if you're a category we are light on, you can get in pretty fast. So. Yep, yep. Um, and as a final reminder, in these trying times, um, it is a print run policy, always, not just uh, because of coronavirus, where if you are a writer and you need or want access to our special episodes and you cannot afford it, um, email us, again, printrunpodcast at gmail.com. We will give you the links and the access to the episodes, no questions asked. Okay. Good. All well, right. Let's get into it, huh? So, <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about it. <laughs> so basically, I mean, like we said, the topic today is publishing and this is going to this is not like the one episode we're going to do this topic in every single facet, but you know, I feel like for the next stretch a lot of everyone's book commentary is going to be about how is the publishing industry responding or not responding to a pandemic that is you know, rupturing industries, it's delaying things, it's changing nearly every everything we do in our life right now, and it's interesting to kind of monitor how that affects the book world. And the easier place to start, I think, or the more simple place to start, is in types of books, right? Like, it just in terms of, like, what is getting acquired, published, things like that, because obviously there are bigger issues that we're going to get into today, you know, layoffs, all that kind of stuff. But let's just start with the books for a second. And in that vein, Laura, I would like to read to you a recent deal. Oh, that boy. Happened. This um, week. So yeah. This week. So here we go. <clears throat> this is, I, I assume you pulled this from Publishers 
marketplace. Yep, yep. This is a this was part of the weekly roundup of yeah, deals great. that are featured in the um, publisher's lunch, which is like the newsletter. That, the lunch. The lunch. That I is. I shouldn't say that so loud. My dog knows that word and gets real fired <laughs> up when I say it. <laughs> I forgot uh, I was recording with him in the room. Yeah. He uh, just walked in. Yeah. So publisher's lunch. I can say it because my dog eats twice a day. Um, <laughs> she's we also like kings over here, Laura. We we eat our three meals a day. Yeah, well. we're fancy. Yeah, well, um, so, so publishers, uh, publishers lunch is like the the newsletter deal report roundup, um, related to publishers marketplace, which is our big industry sort of directory where yeah. re- sales are recorded, where things are reported, whatever. Okay, so this sure. is this is from the roundup that arrived in my inbox this morning. Okay, so here we go. Um, yeah. Novelist and documenta- documentarian Gay Quarters Quarantine, an account of confronting coronavirus on the Diamond Princess off the coast of Japan, the successful campaign to get American passengers released from the ship, and the subsequent 14-day quarantine on Lackland Air Force Base. And then the press uh, is Post Hill Press. Um, we've got some other details about who sold and bought the book in terms of industry stuff. But the reason we want to talk about it, obviously, is because this is a nonfiction book to publish this fall that is about this situation, right? It is obviously about as directly related to um, coronavirus as really we've seen in a book get acquired so far, right? Like, this is something that is planning to tell a story that just happened that is trying to capitalize on people's attempt like i mean it i mean this is what we should really break down is so let me let me before i go into my own thoughts laura let me ask you what like what struck your eye about this what do you think about a deal like this nonfiction that is like a recounting of something that has just happened <laughs> um i have i have myriad thoughts here yeah. um the first is so i've been i've been sort of working with editors all of this week and last week to kind of reestablish publishing timelines for authors right. that are going to like need more time right now. Right. Right. Um, and we're like, we're now talking about a four week delay right now, like in April of 2020 affecting the season for a book coming out in fall of 2021. Okay, so like Mm -hmm. it's a so book publishing is a very long process. It always has been. And the idea that this is a nonfiction book, which usually has longer legs because spoiler, um, a lot of nonfiction sells before it's fully written. Right. Um, The publication in fall 2020 just like gives me hives. (laughs) <laughs> well, so okay, so let's talk about that for a second because I think that the timeline aspect of this is kind of the key to the whole thing, right? Right? Because so this is something that just happened, obviously, um, and I guess I guess we don't have word count here or something, but theoretically, if this book is publishing in fall of twenty twenty, it needs to get into production like tomorrow pretty soon (laughs) yeah like it's gonna have to which is which is to say that it's got to be written or mostly written already and edited right and so basically i just look at this and what i see is a severe condensing of a process right this is a crash schedule we would call this 
And it's one that crashes the writing schedule. It's going to crash the editing timeline. It's going to crash production, all that kind of stuff. Because the And what that all points to is that the fundamental logic behind an acquisition like this is timeliness, right? Mm-hmm. The most important thing about this book is not its, you know, I mean, and I'm sure like uh, there, I have no ability to weigh in on the quality of this book from an editorial standpoint or anything. I'm just talking about the publishing case here. But like the most clearly the way this is set up, the thing that matters most about this sort of book is that they can get it out this fall. And to me, what that says is that they believe that there is a moment coming and they believe that that moment is going to be, I guess, even faster than a lot of people thought, because I think like common logic would say, oh, we're going to start seeing Corona books next year or this or like spring or, you know, even spring feels aggressive to me, to be honest. But like, it's like this is basically saying that we can start pumping out coronavirus book content, you know, basically now, like this stuff is ready to go. We can churn it out. We can get it going. And I guess I just don't know about it because I I think a lot about how right after, like we've seen something similar to this very recently in terms of publishing profile, right? Like after the election happened in 2016, I'm thinking, um, everyone was in a rush to explain that in book form, right? We saw a glut of Trump books. We saw all sorts of books about, oh, you know, like people, I feel like more books had the word fascism in the title than I, we've ever seen in one current publishing site. You know what I mean? Like it's, it just, it makes me think it's, it was the same sort of reactive publishing that we saw then too, which is trying to capitalize on a moment very quickly. And, my concern with it, and I think it's your concern with it as well, is that it pushes book publishers into a situation where they're trying to produce something other than a book. Yeah, they're trying is to that, be journalism. That, they're trying to be, and so they're trying to be journalism, and more specifically, because lots of books can, in fact, be journalism, but they're trying to be a newspaper, right? Like, they're trying to be sort of a fast reaction to something. They're trying to be a... Like, yeah, I mean, that's basically the way they're trying to be your newsfeed, you know, and they're trying to get you to pay for it. And I just, I don't know about it. And I say I don't know because I genuinely don't. But it's this kind of stuff, this kind of publisher, I guess I find it interesting. And it's not as though this is obviously you and I, we often highlight lots of books we fundamentally dislike, you know, or think shouldn't be published. And this certainly isn't in that case, to be clear. Like, I'm vaguely interested in the publishing case here and obviously it's a topic that people genuinely are interested in it's a perfectly good story to tell like all that kind of stuff but something about the speed of it something about the prioritizing of the timeline here just makes me think that one way publishers and if this is the theme of our episode one way that publishers are going to respond to this crisis is by trying to produce is by trying to do the same things more quickly in a way that tries to turn them turn themselves into something other than a book publisher you know yeah i think i think your distinction between like this as a book idea and this as a book um in this current moment is is really key so i my first reaction to this like reading reading this deal was Mm -hmm. well that's going to be a shitty book um <laughs> well uh, so I think I think the thing like what I most appreciate about nonfiction 
that is about um, like a news event, right? Yeah. Um, the thing that I most appreciate about what a book can do that like daily reporting cannot do is a sort of broader thematic or like long form argument that like would take the story of the Diamond Princess and use it as kind of like a, a touchstone or a, a touch point about, you know, all the ways that these systems like succeeded or failed or, you know, what it means like specifically. Yeah for um american nationalism and like like there are there are really interesting topics here yeah. that given a, a longer time i, I was think gonna say the fundamental glue under all time. of that is taking your time yeah right it, it's like it's you know it, it's a lot more critical thinking it's it's not um like journalistic reporting so much as it is like um like a, a journalism narrative, right? And those those things are those things are very different. And I and I like I worry because publishing, again, because focusing on big books, focusing on fast books, focusing on being your newspaper, mm-hmm. um, I worry that like because all of like we're gonna this is the first of many books like this right um and i worry that because a lot of these will come out they'll either flop or they'll be a flash in the pan well they're Um, definitely going to be a flash i feel certain that a book like this is going to be a flash in the pan because all those other books you just described the ones that take their time and go along those are still coming and well see i think that they might not like oh, so, okay, that's so, okay, so that's, that's a debate then. Okay, so if you you think that we're getting this kind of, see, I think we're going to get both, mm. and I think we're going to get this kind of stuff. You know, that's sort of flat. Like again, if the point of your book, if the point of your publishing project is to capitalize on a moment, you are not planning on it being a long backlist seller, which is actually something we're going to talk about later in this episode too. But it's a like the idea is for it to fade is to flash hard and fade away quick, right? And yeah. yeah, or I mean, obviously, in an ideal world, everything would sell all the time. But like, you're sort of banking on a book like this having a moment and then probably fading, you know? But I'm I'm thinking about like acquisitions in two years when somebody comes with this like beautiful yeah. book about the Diamond Princess and about all of this other stuff. They're going to say we already did that book. Yeah, and they're going to say we already did that book. It didn't do super well. You're late. Like, like I don't, I don't think you know. And like, here's here's the reason about like the flash in the pan, right? Is because like when books try to be your newspaper, what it what do you always say about like the newspaper? Well, if you're reading the news and you don't like it, well, don't worry. It's going to be like lining the litter pan tomorrow. It's going to be in the recycling tomorrow. Yep. And. It's like on one level, we were all there for the Diamond Princess, right? Like we're mm-hmm. all there right now. Like good luck getting off of social media just because things are changing so fast and things are happening. Yeah. And and so I'm I'm like worried, not in this specific instance, but kind of the publishing trend in general is to just move away from publishing the books, like the journalistic books in favor of trying to be newspapers well so i think this is a conversation that 
for in my professional life, hits close to home, right? Because this is this is the kind of book I do, you know, like or rather the second I don't do I don't do books like this, but I do the second kind we're talking about here, the longer, the little bit more introspective, the maybe the bigger idea. Like that is a lot of my client list, and it's definitely something you know that. I've had, I mean, I've had conversations with writers I work with where they we've been we're working on proposals right now and things like that, and they'll ask, you know, hey, is <laughs> is everything different now? Can I still write this book? Is this still the like? Are are people still going to be interested in buying my book on topic X? You know, whatever it is, and my answer so far has been yes, because I fundamentally believe that, like, I believe that this is a and I guess, I, you know, I believe this, too, about, like, when we talked about Trump books, you know, obviously, I feel like every single week I was on here talking about how much I hate, you know, reactive publishing. And I do. But I do think we have gotten good, you know, there have been good political books. It just They, they just took forever, you know, in relation to the very fast ones. And I do think, actually, you make a really great point that a lot of the time what all, the residual effect of these flat, of these faster books is that they cut into the acquisitions of the longer ones. Mm. And because, and so I guess I see that a little bit, but I guess when I look at this stuff, when I'm like, because I read the news, obviously for my life, but also for my job, right? I'm looking for, you know, ideas. I'm looking for writers. I'm looking for people working in this vein who might be able to produce something longer for, you know, like I read a lot of reporting as a means of trying to identify someone who could write a longer book, right? Like that's a core function of trying to find nonfiction clients. But it's, I look at something like this and my first instinct is why isn't this 7,000 words in the New Yorker, you know, Mm. or why isn't this, you know, in the Atlantic or like any other place that would do, you know, or like even the New York times somewhere that would just do like, I feel like you could do this story so short, you know, like and it would be great by and the way. Impactful. I, would lo- I would love to read the seven thousand word, you know, long form piece about this exact issue. This is this to be clear, and this is kind of what we were trying to say at the front. This is a good topic. Any of these you're gonna see a million of these, you know, there's gonna be so many interesting, heartbreaking, fascinating stories coming out of this moment. And I wanna read about all of them. But I kind of want to read about all of them on websites. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like it's, and so when I, whenever I look at stuff like this, when I try to see books in short form pieces or Mm -hmm. even long form pieces, you know, like it's, I, I find myself looking at stuff like this and I think, okay, what's, what is the fundamental underneath that? Like, what is the idea driving that from beneath in a wider way? And that's kind of where you kind of put it really well earlier where it's like, you know, there are lots of bigger ideas hidden within this two sentence description, you know, and to me, those are the ideas that make the book, not this story itself. You know, this is like the launch point into larger conversations. And I don't know. I mean, I guess it's interesting. Like I hope, as I always hope that reactive fast publishing doesn't get in the way of acquiring the more thoughtful stuff because just to like loop back, that's what a book publisher is. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what we are. That's what we are producing. Like the, the second we try to chase something else, the second we try to be, you know, the Atlantic or wherever, 
I think that I think that's a losing fight because people don't want to pay fifteen bucks for this book when they could just I don't know. Do you see what I'm saying? Like I'm kind of rambling because this is <laughs> this is like an extension of a conversation I'm having every day, both with my own with myself and with my clients. And like I just I don't know. It just strikes me as like you know, and, it's not great. I don't know. Like it's yeah. it's just yeah. It's it's one of those things where like and and you and I are are in a in a particularly interesting time right now because as like okay at headwater our agency we put out three books on submission last week so yeah. great timing for us um but we have i know you and i have had lots of conversations about how we have had to alter or tailor our submission expectations our submission strategies all of that to kind of dealing with how um, not only how individual people are responding to this crisis, but how yeah. the industry is being forced to respond. So let's yes. let's actually pivot. Okay. Um, one of our wonderful listeners sent us a Taloon It May Concern, which I'm going to read for everybody. And then we are going to um, use it as a launching off point to kind of talk about these these larger issues that are brought up. Sure. So, okay. Hello, loons. Insert requisite, hope you're doing well, et cetera, greeting here. Thank you. Okay, I'm real, wearing a onesie. <laughs> real quick, real quick, before you read the rest of this, I do want to, like, touch on that particular dynamic that's happening right now when every single person's work email, where it's like, you have to lead now with a sentence that's like, well, I hope that you and yours are sheltering in place away from the, you know, deadly world historic pandemic. Hey, how, and then you like check in on something totally like <laughs> boring. <laughs> it's just such a. I feel like I feel like an insane person sending emails right now because yeah. I do. I do exa- what they're describing. I do every. We all do like every single email now. It's like you have to pretend. You have to like pay lip service to the fact that like the world is ending, and then get, and then get back to like checking on like an advanced payment like where it's at. And it's just a very, what a strange time to yeah. even be trying to work. But it's anyway. real weird. Real, real weird. Okay. Anyway, I'm hoping you do a discussion on the Macmillan layoffs and the reports of pausing various printers. I'm seeing conflict, conflicting reports on this. What I find confusing and short-sighted is that I keep seeing reports that book sales are up during this time. I understand that some roles might be diminished, like travel or event coordination, but given that other media will be seeing delays, e.g. films can't shoot, video games can't record voice tracks, per my friends in the industry, it seems reasonable to think books would do well in a year of social distancing. So are we totally fucked and I'm just an idiot? Or are books positioned to do well and Macmillan already had layoffs planned? Help me out, oh wise ones. Okay, so I think the question... Obviously, there's a lot in here that's really good, and I feel like you and I are going to be focusing here on <laughs> the end bit. You know, so are we totally fucked? And I'm just an idiot. You are not an idiot. I ask myself or, that every day. I, yeah, I ask that like trying to make breakfast every morning. Yeah, <laughs> or our books positioned to do well, and McMillan already had layoffs planned. So, like, let's get like, I think maybe the place to start, Laura, is discussing like what like what publishers are doing, you know what I mean? Like what, what they're doing, what they're not doing, what they could be doing. And 
so like what have we like let's just recount like what have we seen so far okay so we've got um mcmillan is probably the first of many who have done layoffs and furloughs they shuttered the thomas dunn imprint completely yeah um we also have um publishers pushing release dates I got an email from one of my publishers yesterday saying that they're not going to be able to produce printed reader copies like like advanced galleys um, Mm -hmm. for a book. And so they're switching to ebooks for that. Yeah. Um, So they're they're changing their publicity. Um, Eric, you encountered um, a publisher that has frozen their acquisitions process. Yeah, no, well, they just, I mean, I, you know, I was like, we were talking about, I was pitching something this week and, you know, I got a response. I was like, look, the book sounds great. I can't request it right now because we don't know what's going on. Like we, we, you know, we are on what, you know, we're on common acquisitions, you know, blockage right now, just because we're trying to wait and see, which I guess makes some sense, you know, in terms of a short term measure, like Mm -hmm. that's not surprising, but. They're also acquiring for 2022. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's the thing, right? And like, I also do wonder though, if well, let me phrase this question this way to you, because you, you the other day had really good thoughts on this, and I think our listeners would like to hear them. Um, do you think that thinking about acquisitions is the right way to be thinking about this virus in relation to publishing right now? I I I think that acquisitions is so so looking at like a budget right um i think the first like elephant in the room we're not going to spend a ton of time on it but it's worth mentioning that um publishers are going to be squeezed for capital really really quickly because most of them are in the most like one of the most expensive cities in the in the world right um and they have huge uh, mammoth-sized offices when, as we're learning, you can do most of this from home. Um, so they're they're going to be squeezed, right? And so, but like, but acquisitions um, on a from a budget line standpoint, if you're looking to cut costs and make it through this, it's really easy for like an accountant to look at this or a C-suite executive and say. Well, obviously, we just need to, like, stop giving money to authors when we're not going to make money on these books for two years. Right. Right. That makes a ton of sense. Right. However, if we're talking about the health of a business long term, not just weathering this, but coming out of this in a position of strength, Mm -hmm. it's important to build those lists for later on. Right. Because as we just spoke about, you can't really rush books like that. Um, and also, yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess I also think in relation to that, like just, and then I want you to keep going. Like advances, advances are down right now. <laughs> you know, like it's not like we're talking about giant sums of money going to authors. Like we're talking about a few thousand dollars here. Like not even all of which is owed at the time of signing. You know what I'm saying? Like we're not actually talking about that much money. Yeah, but if but if we were, um, like if if. That's kind of the problem with acquisitions, right? Um, so so I, I think the easiest way to kind of just do that is to like, if I were a midsize or like large-ish publisher, I have some thoughts about what I would do. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. And this is simply to like, and like the goal of all of this is 
to position yourself well for 2021 and 2022, it would be to maintain talent, both from writers and from the editorial positions, um, yeah. and make sure that you're servicing your your customers really well. So your readers, right? So if those are the three goals, like this this these strategies are not necessarily ideal, and they're not um, meant to like make the board super happy they're just right. meant to like keep it going because we know that right. amazon is having a banner time right now that i think is kind of the thing that we got to really pay attention to right now it's like this is their moment you know mm -hmm. what i mean this is <laughs> like this is almost actually you know i'm not even gonna hedge i'm just gonna say this is a dream scenario yeah. for a company like amazon they love global pandemics because it means that everyone has to rely on all their services for basically everything and it's also and, and like it's it's worth mentioning that this is their dream scenario and they've deprioritized books yeah. because yeah, they they've have. created these systems and they've created this reliance um, from from their from their customer base that they don't even need to like worry about shipping physical books because they've got audible they've got ebooks they've got everything so yeah. Back to the strategy. <laughs> if I were, like, let's just say I'm like mid-size, right? And right. like, let's say I have stupid rent. There's not very much I can do about that, okay? Yeah. Um, other than like, everybody talk to your representatives about helping with rent um, and like interest-free business loans for small business owners and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, um, so my idea to, so like we want to, recap we want to retain talent we want to keep the business in check and we want to like not bleed money okay um mm -hmm. so the very first thing that i would do if we are worried about advances like if i'm looking at my bottom line and i was like acquisitions has to stop right um well that's kind of like you're kneecapping your your future earnings um and so what i would do is kind of a, a combo of things i would slow down acquisitions but not stop it Right. Um, because what I would do is that for those 21 and 22 seasons, what I would do is I would take some of the books that were supposed to be coming out now and I would extend those production timelines. So I would bump, yeah. I would bump maybe half, um, of those titles so that they're, they're later, um, for those books that are being acquired right now, I would, um, again, if, if advances are a, an issue, like if I am a place that gives $40,000 advance right. instead of like $3,000 advances, um, what I would maybe do is significantly cut the advances down or change the delivery terms of when you get parts of that advance. Um, and I what I would. That's a critical point. Yeah. Because I think what people hear, and I don't know, you know, maybe I feel like probably most of our listeners who've been with us a while understand how an advance works. But for those who are like new or just thinking about publishing for the first time, like an advance payment is an advance on your royalties, right? Like it's not a, it's, it's not, not a free flat, money. It's not free money. It's not a flat fee. It's money you were going to make later paid now. Yeah. And, or are theoretically going to make later. Hopefully you make later now. And so you can do all sorts of things to change around that schedule without actually changing the amount and 
messing with that, I think, as you're as you're pointing out, can be very favorable without actually changing in the long run who gets what. Right. And, you know, like the main concern there is that lots of, you know, there's there's a record number of people in the United States who are now unemployed and are kind of hoping for that money. But again, if I'm a publisher, I'm thinking less about that. Um, but in the interest of still helping people, if I had no other option, like if I messed with advances as much as I could and I just needed to offer no advance deals to some people for publication later, um, mm-hmm. what I would probably do is adjust royalty rates so that that would be a deal that they were willing to take in this time to secure my future success. So maybe yeah. instead of 25% ebook royalties, it would be 50 or something like right. that. Um, so that's advances. So when talking about um, shrinking the the publication seasons, so you would take maybe about 50% of the fall releases that we have planned for, move them out a season or two seasons or three seasons, um, because you're going to have to like fundamentally reform the way that you're doing publicity. Right. Like you're going to have mm-hmm. to play in ebooks. You're going to have to make sure that your audiobook is available concurrently. Um, so that's, I want to stop there too. Yeah. Because the, those concepts, the ebook and the audiobook, mm-hmm. the most striking thing that I have seen in these last couple weeks has been how, in all this conversation, because with the, I feel like the big topic in publishing circles right now is like, protect the indie bookstores, right? Right. Like, it's, you know, let's make sure that we are buying books from indies so that they can stay afloat, all this kind of stuff, which, again, is true. Like, we want, um, we obviously want indie bookstores to thrive and stuff, but it also just made me think about something on, like, a broad level, which is that, like, the ebook as a publishing product was supposed to be the thing that would help us out and save us in a moment exactly <laughs> like like this. And it just feels totally absent in terms of, and I'm sure the sales are up a little bit, but like, you know, you the other day made an excellent point about like, how come we're not seeing way more interesting, like ebook promotional stuff? How come people aren't prioritized or publishers aren't prioritizing that in their models and all these different things? Like we have a product that is perfect for the times. We just don't, we aren't doing anything with it. You know, Well, the problem is that the product is perfect for the times, but we fucked it up. And this is, this is, this is like 20 years of just everybody being dumb about eBooks. Right. So, um, we let Amazon, come up with a proprietary reading technology, right? That Barnes <laughs> and Noble and tackling maniacally right. going so, insane as you describe <laughs> a proprietary reading technology yep. that was at, you know, like you could buy ebooks at the click of a button. They instituted the kind of like shit show that is Kindle Unlimited and all of that. And we let it be up to the bookstores to match that. Like publishing did didn't do any like there wasn't random house that produced um that decided like oh we're gonna move into like the ebook readers right so like we left all of that themselves get bottlenecked for absolutely no reason for absolutely no reason and so they were produced because you know publishing is about the books publishing is about the books but like we print books we create like by printing a book we create the method in which a book can be read right and so what publishing didn't do 
is anything, right? Like we let <laughs> we, we let Barnes and Noble try and fail with the Kobo. And there there are other like e-readers and that sort of thing and you know apps and whatever. Yeah. But those came too little too late. And so what Amazon did because again, Amazon doesn't care about books. Amazon um, I cannot make that point enough. Right. It, we should say it like we should like open with that every episode. And so they fundamentally do not like and they will tell you that like it's not even a hidden thing like it is right. not a major part of their plan. And so <laughs> here's so here's what happened. Amazon doesn't care about books. Amazon saw it a potential to be not just a place for physical book sales, like an online marketplace, but also a publisher and also um, the creator of reading technology. And so and and a self like, you know, like the self-publishing option. Right. And so right. what happened with the self-publishing option and wanting to monopolize the industry, because, again, they want to take over the industry, but they don't actually care about making money necessarily from the product. Market share. Right. They want market share because that's where the value comes in, not the actual like the the, the yeah. sense that they're making on an individual book sale. So what happened is, is that for the past many, many years. Amazon has been um, driving the prices of ebooks down. So what that means is that the when ebooks became really, really big, and we're talking um, maybe 10, 15 years ago when that really, really started, um, Amazon convinced the public who are new and loving these ebooks and how they could fit 500 on one reading device and they could like read a ton and they could save so much money they convinced the public that ebooks weren't worth anything that you should get an ebook for free you should get an ebook for 99 cents you should at most pay 3.99 for it i remember back in the day when these fights were kind of fresher because now the, the dust has settled and they right. won right but like there were i remember talking to like production editors, people who do like book design or layouts and things, the people who like make the physical product mm-hmm. look nice, you know what I mean? Typesetters, like people I think we often don't talk about a lot in publishing conversations on, on the kind of external and news level. But like one thing that they would, you know, they would make these big, and I think the person I was talking to was at like a place that did like a lot of coffee table books or like, you know, books that had heavier design elements, heavier visual elements. And I remember him telling me that, like, you know, they would make this product and it would be this beautiful print book and it would have a price that matched that, right? It would be kind of an expensive, more expensive book than, you know, the kind of the standard paperback. And that felt right because of what went into it and what was inside the book and just the quality of the product, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of that, when it got, you know, formatted for electronic all of that kind of gets disregarded and gets flattened into the same price model as any other book, you know? Yeah. And so I remember him just being so deeply frustrated about like, you know, we did, <laughs> we made a book that was worth more than that price was basically. And I think that that is true, obviously. And that's, it's kind of a stark example when we're talking about bigger, uh, more, uh, like more visually heavy books, you know, that's true, but it's true of all books. You know, like ebooks are really cheap. And more, more, more importantly than that, when we talk about like Amazon market share stuff, like they have convinced the public that they should be that cheap and that they should stay that cheap and that they should probably even be cheaper. You know, right. like people think it's a valueless product at this point. And it's really, that's really sad because 
in the moment when no one can leave their house, in the moment when no one can like get to an indie bookstore, this is when that product should be, this is why it exists, you know, and it just doesn't feel like it's up to the task. <laughs> and so with the eBooks, like it's, there are some publishers who have done really good jobs with eBook first imprints, particularly with romance. Um, yeah. And we've talked about the reading kind of the reading behavior of romance readers versus other types of readers. And there's reasons for that. Um, but most publishers look at the ebook as like free money right like they don't yeah. really push it it's not its own ne special thing necessarily um because and they themselves no longer see it as special right because i mean and like even yeah so it's so the the ebook now like publishers don't necessarily know how to like make their ebooks novel and sexy yeah. Um, because they've spent all this time trying to force, like trying to convince people that no, they actually do want the hardcover because the hardcover is beautiful and isn't it nice on your shelf? And like, we can take Instagram photos of our beautiful physical books and match our clothes to the books. It is but so, I mean, yeah, even as you lay out, I mean, examples like that, I hadn't even thought about something like that, but it's like every single piece of book marketing is about a physical book. Right. Because it, because it, I mean, like. And in a lot of ways, that makes sense because publishers make way yeah. more money yeah. on one hard copy book. And even that's even with the cost of printing, the cost of shipping, the cut that bookstores take, all of that. Mm -hmm. They make way more money on that and they don't have to pay the authors as much. That's yeah. the thing is like for the, the industry standard to pay authors per ebook sales, 25 percent. Um, hardcovers for publishing usually like no higher than 12 and a half percent. Um, paperbacks usually no higher than 9%. Yeah. And so like, not only are they, they making more money per sale, but they're also having to pay the author less. So it makes sense that they focused on that, but it's also stupid. Um, yeah. <laughs> and like, this is not something that they can necessarily fix now. Um, no, this is something it because it's right. It's Buying ebooks helps Amazon. <laughs> right. And it's something that publicists are trying their damnedest to, to salvage. Um, and so back to like what Laura's publishing company would do. Um, like if I love I, Laura's publishing company. Yeah. Laura's publishing company is just has no no fucks given. Um, so Laura, Laura's publishing company would like understanding that we biffed it royally with ebooks. Mm -hmm. I would, you know, like start thinking about really interesting ways that we can package and present ebooks so they're not just like, oh, this is an ebook I can read, but instead becomes becomes a sort of interesting or collectible object. So mm -hmm. like for my pandemic books, maybe I would have my author write something about the coronavirus and what it means to read this book in the time of that. I would maybe like put together interesting collections with new releases with um with like old um with 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 backlist books maybe i would implement some sort of book about like the history of labor with some sort of workers fund you know the like packaging options available to people with a good ebook backlist right now are limitless are limitless and and so doing that sort of thing Re will redefine the the perceived value of that work 
away from, well, Amazon's selling this for $3.99 or I can get this, you know, like whatever. Um, and then, and then there's audiobooks. So I think, I think publishers have overall been doing a little bit better with audiobooks because you do have like the acting quality to deal with. Mm-hmm. However, you know, Amazon has also kind of fucked everybody with the audible where it's for $15 a month, you get a book. Um, the, the regular pricing of audiobooks is very much in line with how long the audiobook is. So that's kind of nice. Um, and it's still that way, except for the subscription services that people are using. But one thing that I would also really, really make sure that's happening right now is if I was waiting and starting like to to if I had the audio rights for my backlist, I would start exploiting those right away. Like I would want um, a very robust audio program coming out in like two months from now. I would want it to yeah. be really exciting. I, you know, there's tons of actors that are out of work right now. <laughs> Audiobooks are like just broadly. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, but it's sort of the same thing. Like, there's just so many choices available with products that don't require people. Like, you can respond right. to a market that is just sitting at home. Like, this right. doesn't have to be a total disaster. And know? the like, beautiful thing in, with audiobooks yeah. is most audiobook narrators do it in a fucking closet in their house. Like yeah, most I mean, audiobook narrators, unlike like video game like yeah, voices like and stuff like that, they they do it in their homes. Like this is a stay at home business. Yeah, I mean, I just think like it's. I don't know. I I think your point earlier about Amazon owning the like the hardware for the ebook is just so harrowing to me because. It's like imagine a different world where there's like, you know, if, if a retailer is going to be the one who provides the device on which you read the ebook, why isn't it like an indie bookstore? Like, why isn't there like an indie version of the Kindle? You know, Kindle, you know what I mean? Like, why isn't or why are or more importantly, like, why aren't publishers making that or like and then with, well, they should have 15 years they, ago. They should have. And it's just like and it's just. And the same is kind of true with, with audiobooks too, where it's like we ceded too much technological ground over products that are people are that are genuinely good and people do want. Like I will say, like the audiobook in a lot of ways has become what the ebook was supposed to be. Yeah. I think like people and this really actually surprised me because I was kind of a and this was I guess before the podcast boom, but like I was kind of a pessimist about the audiobook. I didn't really care about it. I still don't really listen to audiobooks, but it's undeniable how popular they are now. You know what I mean? Like people love it, and you have all this enthusiasm, and we have no way to get it out there except through the exact thing that's going to choke us all out in yeah. the you know as this happens because. I don't know. Luckily, just... yeah, luckily indie bookstores are doing a little bit. Um, yeah. There are now yeah. places online where you can buy audiobooks and ebooks through in like a collective of indie bookstores rather than through Amazon. Right. Um, also, your libraries. Like, your li- <laughs> like, turns out that that's a really important institution and you should use it. Um... <laughs> I keep thinking about, I keep thinking about Matt Kelleher, a friend of the show, um, who works at, at Subtext su- Books in St. Paul. Subtext Books, like, tweeting out pictures of the shelves so that people could browse digitally, you know? And <laughs> it's just so, I mean, it's just such an amazing, like, there's just so much ingenuity and there's so much, like, just making things up on the fly happening from indie sellers right now. They're all doing their damnedest and it's 
it's obviously incredibly heartening to see. And it's what we, I don't know, yeah. like, I, I love it. It's just, man, we could have provided them some structural support by making that's, that's the, the thing. That's like, the thing. We could have made their life a lot easier had we, so that, I don't know. It's just like indie. Okay. So, so that, okay. I, I really want to hit that point because it's really important. So, Publishing is always talking about how important indie bookstores are. Yeah. Publishing doesn't do anything for indie <laughs> bookstores except use them as a place to do their really high profile events yes. and provide them with stock. And so yep. like <laughs> so like if and this is again like too little too late, but like if publishing really re- like as an industry like as the as the companies that create books, if they really 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 valued indie the indie bookstore landscape they would have invested in things that help them do their jobs that's it like that's that's it because again like this is an industry this is this like many 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 millions of dollars worldwide right billions of dollars and we're just kind of like hoping that bookstores like figure out how to sell our product and we're just like, here, have the product. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, no, that's I mean, it. It's, that it this, it's not a very reciprocal relationship. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that, so like the question is like, are we, are we screwed? I don't think that we are actually. I think there's going to be some, tum- like guys an inch, obviously like there are going to, there are going to be layoffs. There are going to be things like that, that are all. I mean, I guess in that sense, yeah. I mean, there's going to be some, for a lot of people, that is, you know, being screwed. And it's tough to talk about any industry change broadly without acknowledging, first and foremost, that anytime, you know, we talk all the anytime this playoffs, you and I get on here and talk about not only how bad it is on an individual person level, but also just like what sort of cultural institutions you, like Thomas Dunn is a great press that, or a great imprint that just doesn't exist anymore. And you can like reshuffle those people, like, We've had that discussion many times, is my point. But on the whole, I think things are just going to reshuffle around, you know? And, like, it's – I think that there's always going to be – this sounds – this is going to sound, like, crazy and apocalyptic to say, but, like, there's always going to be publishing, you know what I mean? Like, no matter what happens, there's – this is an industry that does – do something I think is vital that doesn't necessarily make it an essential service in a pandemic as we've discussed. Um, but it's, it does do something I think culturally vital. And so it's always going to exist. These institutions are always going to exist in some form, but what we that do looks have like, to th- we, it is going to change. And we change. do have to think a little bit about how, I don't know. It's just moments like this really underscore that we're just not prepared for things like this to happen. And the, and the company that is, is now going to reap the benefits at our expense, you know? And we learn, and you know, like people are still in publishing are still feeling the shock and still examining specifically how things are different after like how things changed after 2008. Right. Um, advances shrunk, like the landscape changed a ton. And I think moving through this, like, we're not going to come out of this just, like, battered and a little bit smaller. Like, Mm -hmm. things are going to change, whether or not that's another big merger, whether that is a fundamental, like, industry standard shift to advances and payouts, whether that has to do with subrights and exploitations of alternate reading, um, 
formats. Like, I don't know. Um, all I know is like, is, you know, how I think maybe Laura Press <laughs> would would do right. its best to not necessarily like succeed in this time, but to like get through it. Um, so to answer that that final question, like, are we fucked? Um, some people are. Some people aren't. Uh, the industry as a whole, it depends on what your definition is. Um, but I think I think really like this is a really good opportunity to for people working in publishing to really examine your systems and redefine how you're working within them. Yeah. Um, and and kind of your placement, because. That's kind of the, the the like the benefit of a sea change moment like this is you have the opportunity to really just kind of reshuffle into something that is more powerful or longer lasting um, or even just better. So um, with that, <laughs> on that super yeah. cheery note, yeah. um, we're, we're going to leave you. Thank you so much for joining us on this, our socially distanced episode of print run remember stay to, healthy, everybody. yeah stay healthy stay home um post on to our feeds what you're cooking eric and i are going to be baking something jointly at some point hopefully this week he's never baked before and now it is time um <laughs> so keep talking with us keep sending our stuff sending us stuff we're at printrunpodcast at gmail.com and we will see you probably also from a socially distant uh length away um next week 